Welcome to Dream, Declare, Deliver with your host, Chris Garrell. Join us each week as we explore how to live a life by design by applying the tools and techniques of emotional intelligence and personal transformation. Here's Chris. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Dream, Declare, Deliver. This is Chris Garrell, and I am blessed again to have a continuing conversation with Dr. Stacy Feiner, my good friend um, and and just brilliant colleague. And I, you know, we always say this, but I, I just love our conversations and, and stuff. And we had uh, done a recording uh, fairly recently and had several uh, key topics that we had come up with that I wanted to follow up on that we, you know, we kind of, you know, zoomed over them and they were part of our conversation and uh, were, you know, rich enough to come back and explore a little bit further. The the one that I really wanted to start with is you do a lot of coaching with athletes. Um, and, and I, I've done some with athletes, but, you know, I really want to learn more about what, what you see as the distinctions that they have around, um, around emotions and emotional intelligence as it applies to the world of athleticism and performance. So, you know, can we maybe start there and sure. let's dive hey, into Chris. that? Sure. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wish I had gotten the, the Hawaiian memo. I have a couple of cool Hawaiian shirts that I could have worn too. Um, suffice it to say, um, yeah, we could. So when you say, let me just, you know, clarify my work with athletes, elite athletes, Olympians and um, professional athletes, really, I wouldn't qualify it as a lot. I would say it happened more late in my career around the time of the pandemic when uh, there was the lockdown and um, I mean, it, all of us suffered, many, most of us suffered from the lockdown, mm-hmm. um, athletes in particular, and they were in the news a lot. Um, we were missing them. Um, they were missing us. Uh, they, they couldn't keep up with their, with their, um, their records and their numbers and their performance. And, and without those benchmarks, they, right. Uh, right. they suffered because every day, <laughs> They're working towards improving their performance. So right. that that um, that disconnection from their team and et cetera. Um, yeah, but- so they weren't able to be with their team, which is one of their big sources of of fuel. Um, and and they weren't able to work out. And a lot of you know places were closed down where oh. they could work out. So they're out on their own and and stuff. So uh, how how big of a toll did that take? Well, I think it would. I would say that was devastating um Mm. they they probably i would say every single athlete was taken out of their their context Mm -hmm. um uh take you know their sport was taken away so that was their competition and their their job Mm -hmm. their um uh their you know exercising and 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 practicing and um working out and all of those things not only did they get better but they also got a lot of emotional benefit from from those activities working on their teams um um being isolated and depressed and you know just you know as a as a reminder a lot of athletes who are working under a lot of pressures do by their very nature experience emotional stress emotional distress and mm-hmm. then, of course, when you add on to that and those natural uh, that natural context, the um, you know the the uh, incidences or the situations of mental illness mm. where real depression and real anxiety and um, 
or diagnosable, uh, then, then, you know, then they really get exacerbated. So they were, um, kind of floating in space. (laughs) Floating out. You know what I was thinking? They felt very caged. Oh, more caged. I thought it was was like, like, ah, you know, right. Hmm. So, so that was a whole different paradigm or a whole different context. And they just were so unfamiliar with it that it was, it was a further distressor. Yeah. Well, everything was taken away, right? Mm -hmm. Everything, you know, their, their um, spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, social, um, that was, you know, sports, when you're a hundred percent into your sport, you know, 20% of your life is all of these, you know, frivolous activities like family, mm-hmm. you know, and like social socializing. I mean, those yeah. things that we probably spend, we try to spend 50% of our time doing. They you don't. Know, athletes aren't focused on those things, right? No. You know, they're focused on all of yeah. the things that pertain to achieving their highest performance in sport. Right. So, yeah, I remember one of my favorite movies is Free Solo. And in, in Free Solo, uh, there's the, kind of one of the storylines is, is Sony, uh, who is, um, Alex's girlfriend, you know, kind of wanted to, she went into it thinking she would have a normal boyfriend, girlfriend relationship. And she very quickly found that, you know, as a professional, his whole life was dedicated to, um, to the rock wall, to, to climbing. And, and she had to take second seat to that. And, and so like they do have a different, uh, a different context, a different paradigm that they operate from. I was wondering, no, I'm sorry. It's just like something fired in my head. I remember when, when football started up in COVID and the teams were able to at least get together and they, they practiced with masks on, but they, you know, they played the game, but they had canned um, audience applause in the stadium. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it felt so weird to me. <laughs> and I wondered what they felt like, you know, out there uh, on that. Yeah, I don't remember really having too much exposure or experience with those kind of conversations, but you know, as observers and listening to some of the conversations, it was um um it was pa- it was a little bit patronizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a little mm-hmm. bit um yeah, you know, it just yucky. it just yeah, it was really yucky, right? It was really more yeah. for the fans, right? Trying to get us back into the feeling of yeah, right. The, you're you're part of a game and you're part of an audience and stuff like that. And it just was so fake um, that it felt it felt kind of like weird, slimy. And yeah. I, so I don't know if the if the players on the field, you know, had that canned um, sound or not. Um, I I don't think so. Um, but you know, going back to what you were saying is, you know, when that when that container got taken away and they were placed in this box. What, I mean, was there their depression? Um, what happened to their motivations and stuff? You know, the, so let, I'll go back also to the situations that came for, forward for me, um, where I got um, private and personal calls from different players, not as uh, not associated with their uh, club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were 
you know, willing to talk about and ready to talk about and needing to talk about, you know, emotions. And yes, in those situations, they were feeling um, powerless, um, almost uh, there was a, you know, there was this embarrassment or shame that they were so dependent on this, ah, uh, wow. this sport or this job that they, who were they with? I mean, it just, it just exposed them a lot to their own um, need for the right. need for the sport, and when it was gone, how empty they were, or right. how un unaccustomed they were to not having all of the aspects of their sport. That if you just took the sport away, they felt like they had nothing. Right, and and then they were with their relationships, they were with their families, and uh, uh, you know, one. Uh, athlete said to his uh, his spouse said to him you know we've been waiting you for you to be home for years and here you are home and you can't even make time for us you can't even get any energy for us to mm, be mm. with us because you're you know so depressed because you can't play just make it a sabbatical make it a yeah you know, right make the best out of it and um you know that was also demoralizing i mean not no mm-hmm. blame on the spouse um, that was her experience, and that was her attempt to get him right. uh, activated and and um, energized. But it didn't work, and in his mind, it made it worse for him because he couldn't find the energy. Yeah. He couldn't find any joy from the circumstance. Right. He didn't, you know. And then there's all this ambivalence: when do we go back, and uh, what rules do we uh, abide by? And 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 you know, this is my last year. There was one, you know one athlete who didn't really, you know, this was his last hurrah. Yeah. Right. So the last, his last year in in sport was at risk and that was just devastating to him. Devastating indeed. And interestingly in, in that, it was interesting in that conversation, it was like how many years have gone by where you haven't been present enough in the moment so that Mm. when you look back on it, it has real relevance. So there's almost a remorse there too. You know, remorse. like like yeah. a, a sadness that is is coming to end. And this this might be my last hurrah, and I might not even get a chance to do that. But then a remorse of like, when did I not take the opportunities and stuff? So you made a distinction in the last call um, of of funk and slump. You know that the funk was really you know they they went into this emotional you know blah, blah um, this emotional funk. Um, but there was also a slump in performance too that that was associated with that. Well, the, you know the way that Kate, that, so interesting. I think so. I think it's a great distinction. I'd love to talk about it in the context of the call, just because I think it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting story about how a coach or a psychologist would uh, kind of an intervention, right? So for the mm-hmm. audience, this is mm-hmm. what I was thinking when we were on the call. It was the first call with this athlete. He shared with me that his, um, you know, his friend told him to call me and just and said, just tell Stacy you're in a funk. Just tell her you're in a funk. She'll know what to do. Because he didn't know what to, he was going to say when he got right. on the phone with me. So he said, you know, whatever. Tony told me to call you and he told me to tell you that I was in a funk and you'd know what to do. So uh, I didn't expect the call. So I was, you know, I was a no little pressure bit, at all. Right. <laughs> and also, you know, I, I wanted to uh, I want I, I also needed to come down from my own excitement that I was speaking to a celebrity. And mm-hmm. I needed to remember that in this context, that was not his role. Right. And it was not my role to be a fan. So I had to 
Mm. That was the first order of business. And then I needed, in order not to be over my heels with him, you know, and, um, uh, or over my, get too excited. I, I just needed to temper myself. And I said, just give me a minute. Let me think about the best way to start this with you because, um, it feels a little, it, you know, it could feel a little awkward and I don't want to get too excited that I get a chance to explore these things with you. And I also don't want to make it so it's not important enough. So mm. I said, let's start with what's the difference between a funk and a slump. Mm. And what happened in that moment, and I thought it was a very, it was a really good distinction because he's a professional on slumps. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows slumps. I don't. Right. That that word has a lot more meaning to him and his life and his experiences. And funk meant a lot to me. I could understand the concept of funk perhaps right. a little bit better. So there we are now just in a conversation, just like we're going to have a conversation right. about concepts and how do these strange concepts mean? What do they mean to us? And then as it becomes more personal to what it means to us, then it will reveal the sorrow or the gap or the confusion or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then it re- then it requires the opportunity for exploration and so that's how we got started and um i'm not the only person who re- re- uh, repeats that story he likes to repeat that story also so <laughs> i share that again because right um when people enter into coaching somehow they might forget that the coach has to or the therapist or the we have to acclimate too. It's not like we come in all knowing and the relationship is really simple for us. We have to find our way too. Yeah, and I so- always, I that's so true. Um, I always said to people that I have to find the lovable part in the person that I'm coaching because I have no leverage whatsoever other than attaching myself to some part of that person that I really want to see thrive. Um, and, yeah. that, that, and so I, I, I called it looking for the lovable part, you know, that mm. I could, I could, um, I could attach to me to that I would say, okay, so there's mm. the skin in the game for me too. Um, I'm not just this outside authority mm. or, or observer or whatever. I, I, mm. I actually have a relationship here with this person and the relationship That's funny. is <laughs> not funny. That's great. That to, 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 um, start the relationship right away with mutuality right yeah exactly that's what yeah. you're saying i hear is you, you you know you you had to find the place where you know where you were comfortable in your role um and search that out at, because coaching is a relationship you know and you know all we have is the relationship we don't have authority we're not we're not their their boss or their you know athletic you know team coach or uh, you know, the owner of the team. No, but I, you we know, do have private information. Yes, exactly. But that's so, part of the relationship. That only comes right. when you develop that relationship that then they share that private information with you. And 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 then we can get into the real meat of the matter. So, you know, that's interesting. I, if I can riff on that just a little bit about the no. development of a relationship in a coaching relationship or a therapeutic relationship. Mm-hmm. Um it's funny when I was, when I used to coach um, financial advisors, wealth advisors, traders, and, you know, bankers yeah, those guys, yeah. Such investment, um, they, well, back in the day, they'd swear a lot, you know, and so <laughs> I kind of picked up swearing 
And one of the things that swearing got me when I was working with men was, you know, oh, that's an HR issue. And I said, okay, so you have something on me. I'm going to have a lot on you. Now you have something on me. So you're saying that there was an emotional lovability between the two of you. And I'm saying, you know, one of the ways that I gained uh, kind of um, equal, you know, equal footing with, with clients was when they had something on me too. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not the only person who's carrying the precious information of you, but you, you know, you have something on me too. So that that keeps us honest also. Yeah. Yeah. And, And that happened with swearing. Yeah. Go figure, which I'm still a swearer. <laughs> um, yeah, that kind of was the the badge, you know, was, you know, in, in the old boy days um, when I was coaching senior execs, um, you know, they would, you know, for you. Yeah. for a man, they would test me by being, you know, like, rah, 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 you know, and and how tough could you be? And I had to be as tough you know, back at them. And, and, you know, so that because like this somehow that made me okay. You know, like if I didn't take their crap, you know, right. And, and, um, and some of them were irascible. I mean, curmudgeons, I mean, there were some of those guys, uh, it particularly so lovable it, was hard in those situations. Lovable huh? was, was hard for some of those things. Cause mm-hmm. I, you know, like, where do you, you know, like, yes, I can, I can establish myself as a, as a power player with you. I'll go knee to knee with anybody now, you know, but I still need to develop the relationship that would, that would allow me to coach you. And, and it's that, it's that human emotional connection that, you know, that I think is so important in coaching that allows us to then have the leverage and, and, and just lean a little bit closer and say, yeah, "Yeah, but you know, and I both know that's bullshit. So let's cut to the real issue. What is it really that's going on? And, and, you know, like right in there and, and that's all relationship stuff, you know? So well, we were talking about we, funk and, and, and slump, you know, so yeah. I, I got us off target there. Um, so I think in the context of just in that circumstance, it, the purpose of the funk and the, and the slump was really for us both to have an expertise to bring to the conversation. Yeah. I don't know that we necessarily, I mean, uh, explored it to the degree that maybe is, you know, super relevant to the mm-hmm. audience, though I know you did. Uh, you kind of talked about slump being a performance measurement and funk being an emotional state, which I think, I think that holds water. I Mm. think that holds water. Um, And um, yeah, Yeah, I think that that's, but. So that's the thing I, I, you know. Slumps come from distractions. So while you do mention that slump is uh, kind of a, a measurement the the source of a slump is distraction is a crisis of confidence mm-hmm. is you know so it's it is but that's all tied to the emotion uh you know of the of right. the funk as well you know and right. we were talking well, that was the point yeah and we were talking before <laughs> about one of the things that i really loved working with athletes about is or what i loved about them and that i found so workable was that they while they're very aware of the result, you know, the metric, um, they knew that it, the metric wasn't the target. It was their performance 
It was their their day to day practice routine, their follow through, um, you know the the way they left the pad or or, or the you know the the first um, two strides off a of line of scrimmage. You know you got to keep the back low and, and to keep it low enough so that I had the speed and acceleration that I needed. You know they knew that those things made uh, you know a tenth of a second difference in in getting down the field or or whatever, and you can measure that with the stopwatch or you can measure that with the scoreboard, but they understand that it's not about that. And I think that so many people that we coach so often get hung up on the metrics as their results. And then they beat themselves up about their metrics and don't look at the internal inspection of, you know, what is it that I'm actually doing? What's my attitude? What's my context? You know, how am I approaching this? Um, yeah. you know, and, and unpacking that, that's where the coaching work really is fun to get into. Well, it's fun for us for sure. Uh, <laughs> yes, think, right. I think I'm athletes speaking. really like to, to, to look at it or, I mean, the numbers are things or the performance are things you feel like you control, right? There's mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. that's in your control. Um, the emotions, the mindset, the, uh, the, um, um, the, feelings about what's going on on your team, the dynamics that are going on, you know, the, the distractions, the emotions, all of those. And, and also just the, 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 your mental state, not just your mm-hmm. mind state, but mm-hmm. actually the, the, the mental state, which really has lots to do with uh, nutrition and, and food and, and chemical balances and, mm-hmm. and all those things that happen physiologically also go right. into a, a player's moods and uh, mindset. I think the space that mostly I spent, you know, I spend with athletes is how these intangibles matter to their their performance, how emotions and distractions and unresolved sense of yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, when you underperform, I mean, each athlete is going to have a different experience of what that that underperformance means. Yeah. I mean, some people will tell you that you know, they disappointed their team. Some people will say, we'll go into this negative thought. I, I, you know, I shouldn't be here. Right. Right. So it, so in those situations, that's kind of where the work led us Mm -hmm. um, was in, in that. And I, I would say that another way that, that the relationship was able to form substantially was what athletes know that business people don't know um, is they know that the coaching is a, that coaching does help them that they are better because of coaching. Right. And right. oftentimes they can't get as far if they don't have a, they won't get as far if they don't have a coach. I don't mm-hmm. think that that's the interpretation in business. I don't think that's the relationship that many executives have with their coaches. That's so true. Yeah. Th- how that translates for an athlete is. When you, when, when they get 10 yards, when they move down the field, 10 yards, when you give them an insight, when they, when you discover something that's valuable to them, an Mm -hmm. insight that's valuable, that changes the way they see themselves or their sport or their team or their fans or their relationships or their, their relationship to any of those things is, well, they, they become, you know, they, they become excited and they use it. The first thing is they use the insight. Then the second thing is they they thank me for the insight. And it's not for credit. It's for appreciation. Yeah. And athletes know when you appreciate them, you get more from a coach. You just right. that when you appreciate each other, you get more from each other. 
Right. And the third oh, so thing true. they do is they remind you, or they remind themselves, or they re- remember you said that, coach? Remember yeah. you said that, coach? Right. Remember right. you said that? And they remind you so that they don't lose those 10 yards. Mm-hmm. So by the time you're ready for the next insight, you know, the next insight comes along. They're primed. They're they're re- they're primed. They're not yeah. falling. They're not falling. They're only oriented towards the growth. Right. Right. Because they've reminded themselves every day of those things that help them get to the next level. So they're mm-hmm. Their mind is populated with, remember she said that? Remember she said, remember we did that? Remember how that yeah. happened? Yeah. So that when you when a new insight comes, they level that up. And right. essentially, that's what growth is. I do remember an athlete said, you know, what does growth mean? Like, what do you mean growth? You know, what, what happens with growth? And of course, the, sometimes the easiest way to describe that is to say what it's not. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not falling below your baseline, right? It's not becoming more distressed. Yeah. Growth is becoming more confident, more self-aware, more informed, more composed, more uh, willing, more capable of managing ambiguity, um, Mm -hmm. letting things unfold, recognizing, you know, your own contribution to something and the contribution to the environment. Yeah. Um, So I, I have always appreciated how, what, what, what working with athletes taught me so that I went back to my, my, um, my business clients. And I said, this is what I expect. Yeah. You know, this is how it works best. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and that evolved and improved the relationships with my business clients. Yeah. True. True. You know, you like was, was remembering as you were saying uh, about the, the kind of the, the depressive state that a lot of athletes felt during COVID um, is kind of similar to the post um, gold medal depression that a lot of Olympic mm-hmm. athletes experience. Um, and you know, I, I want to well, put it in a anticlimactic. It's, it's sort of anticlimactic and, unless you have a certain attitude. So I was fortunate to make it to the world championships of Taekwondo two years in a row. And wow. so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there with the current world champion and, you know, I said, okay, Kenny, you know, like coach me on this because like, this is new territory for me. You know, it's like do or die. And he said, no, no, no. He said, what's that say on the back of my, in my jacket? I said, world champion. He said, what's that mean? I said that you're the best in the world. He said, no, it doesn't. He said, every person here is the best at this craft. It just means that on that day, at that particular time, I scored more points than the other guy. If I make it mean more than that, I get all messed up in my head. But when it's just today's performance, then I can go on mm. to tomorrow and the next day and I can still play this game. You know, and, and so the context that he had around mm. championships, you know, by the way, I didn't win the world championship. <laughs> I came in fourth, um, which means I lost twice. Um, you know, but but the, the but I can see I can see your 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 little shame and your little disappointment and yeah, my little disappointment. Damn, I got almost all the way. You know, it surprised me. Yeah. Not applied, you know, but, for, but yeah, but fourth but the, wasn't. But even in retrospect, fourth isn't good enough for you. Oh, it, it is. Yeah. Oh, it is. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, being top ten in the world is pretty 
pretty cool. You know? Okay, gotcha. And, I didn't hear that part of the story. Oh no, it's just I, you know, to be there and to you know, to be in the company of those other nine athletes who, at the age that we were, you know, we're all in our sixties, so we were in a class of athletes that were, you know, had to be lifelong athletes. You don't, you can't compete on a world level if you haven't been taking care of this body the whole time. You know, as you grew older, but the thing that I learned from Kenny. Uh, his name is Kenny Richardson and, and he's a wonderful man. But the thing I learned from him was that this day is just another day. It's not the be all end all. So this is the championship. No, it's just another contest. And I may score more today than you and you may score more today than me. It, it, it's, it's no other day. You know, there's no, there's no, you know, specialness to it. And, and that allowed him to continue playing the game to, to continue competing in, in that. And, and um, I, I just thought it was so insightful. Wise. Wise and insightful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, we, it, it, we've several times talked about the word context um, and you were, you had mentioned uh, before in the last conversation and I wrote it down that it was something I wanted to come back to. And maybe we can end up on this, the difference between context and control. You know, mm. so many people mm. want to control the behavior mm. or whatever. Um, and and it's really a matter of of really shaping the context, the container, you know, because so can you say more about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, first, I think just um, just right out of the gate, control is narrow. Mm-hmm. Right. And context is wide. So, but just by definition, those words, you know, they, um, they're distinct and completely different. And when you think about control, um, it's more, obviously more instructive and it's more, um, it focused on very specific, uh, activities in a moment. Um, right. and so when it, you don't have, mm-hmm. no, so it's, it, it has less degrees of freedom to it. It's very specific. You got to do this, 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 and you know, like you're trying to control the behavior either of yourself or another person. And and I'm hearing context is different. Is yeah, more expansive. Right. Well, context is more um, uh, is more networked, right? Context mm-hmm. has multiple facets, and it's much more three dimensional. It's it is three dimensional context. Got it. Yeah. So. Your um, so let's just think about what co- kind of what context is. One is, you know, what it is that you are. What what do you bring? Hmm. Um, and again, to Kenny's point, each day you bring something slightly different. Mm-hmm. So in that particular day, what are you bringing? Or in this context, what are you bringing? What are the expectations that you have <clears> of others? <throat> what are the other people? What are they bringing on that day? And what are their expectations of themselves and of you? Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. of course, more perhaps more more broadly, what are the expectations? What are the outcome expectations? And who are they going to impact? And what's the ripple effect? Yeah. So I think when you think about context, it's it's the ecosystem that uh, it's kind of Newton's law. You know, when you one one action is um, what is it? How does he say it? For every action, every action is an equal, it's the equal and opposite right. reaction. Reaction. You know, yeah. So, so that's, more, 
But it's also what you were saying about nutrition, you know, and, and all the other aspects, you know, the context is how I fuel my body and my mind and, and the attitudes. And, you know, it's, it's not just the, the do this, get that, um, cause and effect kind of uh, approach to getting things done. It's really a holistic, as you said, three dimensional view of, of how I, how I be what I am being. Um, and, and that shapes the doingness of it. So as we always say in, yeah. in coaching, it's be, do, have, not have, do, be, you know, it's, 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 it's who you're being that causes you to do different things or to do it differently that then produces different results that you have. Right. And context is, you know, a lot having to do with perspective and internal, you know, internal interpretations mm-hmm. of things. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that, the more context you have, the better suited you are to organize the information and relate to it personally mm. and then mm. interpret it in a way that perhaps allows you to be more effective or more, um, you find more purpose and reward from an experience um, mm. and feel the kind of this emotional connection to the outcomes of the work you're doing and who, who it's impacting. Right. Yeah. So context always is always gives an individual more um, um, more tools, more insight. Yeah, yeah. And more insight into um, how to achieve. Yeah. You know, really, the benefit for all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. What a perfect place to end. Um, so we've run <laughs> out of run out of our time, and and I just I, I love you the pieces, and I, I really appreciate your insights um, to this and, and it's really been a, a, another great conversation. So blessings and love and yeah. uh, we'll see you around you the too. next blessings time. Blessings yeah. and love to you too. See you, Chris.